This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today.2022. Frankly, I hope to, to keep this short. Uh, one of the big things I wanted to do, and uh, we do plan to get to, is to at least quickly go over uh, the top 10 of the third annual, second annual, I'm sorry, PWI uh, Tag Team 50, Time Flies. Um, and uh, we will do that. Um, that issue is still available. And before it's off the shelves, didn't want to quickly, with my co-host Brian Solomon, who's going to join me in just a moment, uh, talk at least about the top 10 uh, tag teams of 2021 and maybe an overview of tag team wrestling uh, here starting uh, in 2022. Uh, and then also we want to cover some uh, current events. And unfortunately, there's no shortage of them. So uh, we will try to uh, get through it quickly. But uh, new champions in WWE, in NXT, in New Japan, uh, we'll talk about all of them. Uh, and then something else that we've been sitting on for uh, quite a while, maybe at the end of the day, it's been uh, too long. And that is uh, audio from uh, Righteous Reg's hot seat interview with uh, then WWE champion uh, Big E. Uh, one of the news items we'll be talking about is, of course, him losing the title. Uh, but nevertheless, a fantastic interview. You could read it inside uh, the pages of uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, but you could also listen to it here uh, in this podcast. Uh, again, obviously, he was still champion at the time, and um, a terrific interview uh, that uh, Reg uh, put together. I know Reg is a big fan of Big E, and Big E's a fan of Reg, so uh, it worked out that we were able to put it together. I wanted to bring it uh, to you here. Uh, so stay tuned, and uh, a lot more to get to here in the first PWA podcast of 2022. And uh, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated before it's off the shelves, uh, because very quickly, our year in wrestling uh, issue is going to be coming out. But you can still pick up the February 2022 issue, which does feature uh, Big E on the cover. As I mentioned, we've got our uh, hot seat interview with Big E. We've got um, the tag team uh, 50 uh, list ranking the top 50 tag teams in all of wrestling in here. And uh, so much more. Go to pwi-online.com and pick it up. Subscribe. As I mentioned, uh, the year in wrestling with all the achievement awards, uh, wrestler of the year, match of the year, tag team of the year. And uh, let me tell you, I've got a sneak preview of it, and it's going to be very, very newsworthy. You don't want to miss this one, uh, and that is not hyperbole. Uh, so absolutely go to pwi-online.com uh, and subscribe. You'll be sure to get it before anyone else, uh, especially if you get a digital edition. comes right to your inbox uh, right away. It's the way uh, to go. And either way, uh, whether you go print or digital, you get a big, big discount of off of the cover price. If you missed anybody uh, over the holidays, uh, that wrestling fan in your life, it's a fantastic gift. I'm sure they'll be happy to get it, whether it's late or not. Uh, again, pwi-online.com. Brian Solomon, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Al. Hope everything's well with you. Yes, absolutely, and with you uh, as well. This is a quicker turnaround than usual for us, um, but uh, so much has happened just over uh, the last week with three pretty major, major title changes on three big shows and lots of other news. So we're going to talk about that. First, and then we'll shift to a discussion about uh, the second annual PWI Tag Team 
uh, 50. Uh, let's let's start with uh, probably the biggest news over the weekend, and um, that's everything that happened on uh, day one, uh, the pay-per-view, and day one of, of the year. Um, you know, we talked about in the last episode how WWE was taking all these precautions to protect uh, that card and that main event from this latest um, COVID outbreak. And at the end of the day, you know, obviously it was enough. That's not at all putting anything on them. I mean, it's just the reality of what the country is dealing with. Um, I don't want to call it a worst case scenario, but they lost their top star, uh, Roman Reigns, and had to pivot, kind of think quick. And, uh, you know, in wrestling, there's this kind of uh, old adage that when when you do lose your main event or you lose a top star, um, you try to replace it with something even bigger. Uh, in this case, it was putting Brock Lesnar in the Fatal 4-Way, making it a Fatal 5-Way uh, for WWE Championship and having him win the WWE Championship. So uh, clearly a, a, a pretty drastic change of direction. I, I don't think this is where they would have been going uh, otherwise. Uh, and all kinds of ramifications, obviously, for the months ahead and, and uh, for WrestleMania. Uh, but but what do you think of, of this picture, of, of them taking this uh, direction, and, and where do you see it going? Well, first of all, I, the first thing I thought of with Roman Reigns being out was that I was I was worried about him because, you know, we all know that he's a little more compromised than most right. with, with his health situations. And it, it's a shame because he was one of the most kind of hesitant talent to begin with. We're hesitant to come back, hesitant to work, you know, in, in, in an environment with the potential of COVID. And so it's unfortunate that he eventually wound up getting it. Uh, but that said, I mean, it, it's interesting to me. I'm wondering, I guess we, we have no way of totally knowing, but I'm wondering how much plans were changed. Like, I, I'm wondering if he would have gotten the universal title if Roman Reigns was there or if the decision to make him a champion was as a way to sort of make it up to the fans. Although, I mean, if, you, if you're going to make something up to the fans, I don't know if if beating Big E is the way to do it. I, I think there were a lot of deflated fans, not not necessarily because Brock got the belt back, although there was some of that, but because, you know, Big E has a strong following. And so I, I'm wondering where it's all going. If, if Big E hopefully will still be in the mix somehow, or I'm, ho I'm hoping he doesn't wind up kind of getting demoted, uh, that, that this is just seen as an experiment. I'm, I'm hoping this is a permanent thing for him because I think he belongs at that top level. And I'm also wondering if now they're gearing up for a champion versus champion thing with Roman Reigns when he does come back, maybe even um, a unification. I mean, that's what that's what I would want to do in terms of of take where the creative would go with that. But I guess it sort of remains to be seen. Yeah, that's the one thing that um, I guess we can't really know is, you know, I, I, I think it's probably a. Uh, and I can't, we can't know this for sure, but but it's probably a, a fair bet that the plan was not to take the title off of Roman Reigns just because uh, they've been pushing so long that he's been a champion um, for so long. And if and when they they do it, you think it'd make more sense to do it uh, at WrestleMania. So maybe in this right. way, it's, it, it's a blessing in disguise that they uh, clearly that's the plan for WrestleMania, so, some other iteration of Brock and Roman Reigns. Uh, this way, that match is a little bit fresher than if we had it in uh, whatever it was, no, November or October at Crown Jewel, again in January and again uh, at WrestleMania. So uh, maybe that works out. But what we can't know was whether 
that title was coming off of Big E anyway. Uh, you know, with with uh, now Bobby Lashley being put in that position to work against Brock Lesnar, I wonder if the plan was to put it back on uh, a Bobby Lashley. Um, we can't know. Uh, you, you touched on it. I'd like to explore a little bit further. You know, th- there are people who, uh, understandably so, are very upset about Biggie losing the title, uh, losing it the way he did to Brock Lesnar. I mean, Brock could have pinned anybody else in that match and won the title, and you would have protected Biggie uh, a little bit, especially coming off a couple years ago. Some people still have that bad taste in their mouth with what happened to uh, Kofi Kingston, also at the hands uh, of Brock Lesnar. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, he had whatever it was, a five-month title reign, respectable. Um, I, I don't know if this is the end. I don't know if they get that title back on Big E and just kind of return to what the, the course was for WrestleMania, uh, which for him seems to be Goldberg. I mean, that's certainly uh, the match that he's talking about uh, wanting. Um, so putting aside Brock Lesnar getting that title, uh, what do you think about Biggie losing the title and, and the way he lost it? Well, I want to point out that, um, not to correct you, but just because it, it makes a big difference to me that it wasn't even four months. So it was like three Is months right? and change. Yeah, because he won it in late September or mid-September. And I feel like um, the plug You're should right. not have been pulled on him in that way. I mean, he, the other side of it is this. Um, and this is my own personal preference. I hate when they do these matches where a guy can win a title by pinning somebody else, you know, in these four ways and things. I understand why they do it. It's to protect people. It's to it's the same reason why they have cage matches where you could have somebody lose or have a title change or whatever without someone having to be pinned necessarily and protect them. I get it, but I feel like it's kind of a cop out when they do that. And and it, and it um, to me, if they were going to put the belt on Lesnar, the, the only way to do it is to have him beat Big E in that match. That That's my own preference. But having said that, I wouldn't have done it at all. <laughs> I wouldn't have had him win it at all. Um, I just think uh, he needed more time. He needed more uh, confidence from them. He needed more of a push. The, the Kofi situation, you know, because people compare it to that because they're both a new day and all that. But I feel the situation with Kofi that his title reign, it wasn't quite working out. Fans were rejecting him. He wasn't uh, He wasn't working and, uh, as, as a champion. Big E, I feel, was working. And I feel like any shortcomings that he had was in the way they were booking him, having him lose when he shouldn't lose, being put in situations that he shouldn't have been put in, uh, that were not his fault. But I feel like fans were responding to him. There was a lot of support. What happened with Kofi was there was a lot of support in the beginning, and then it dried up, and then people just didn't seem to want it. They rejected it. That isn't what's been happening with Big E, and I feel like they should have given him more of a chance here. I think he got caught in the crossfire of this Roman Reigns situation. I'm hoping that it turns out to be a bump in the road, like I said, and he's back in the title picture. Maybe he'll get it back very soon. I don't know. Maybe this is part of a bigger picture. I mean, you know, we all hate when, when people say, let it play out and see what happens, because half the time it there is no long-term plan. Um, but I feel like this was uh, a bad decision. It really was a bad decision. I feel like this was an opportunity Instead of saying, oh, we're going to put it on Brock and give the people a big title change, this was an opportunity to finally strengthen Big E, who has been booked 
not in the strongest way as champion and, and have him come out of this match dominantly as still the WWE champion, uh, that to me would have been the way to go if they, if it, especially if you're looking to do something fresh and different. I mean, for God's sake, why not Roman Reigns and Big E at WrestleMania? I mean, I feel like that's a match that has potential. You can build towards a match like that, even if you say, well, Big E's not quite ready for that. You can make him ready for that. Instead, they chose to do the same old thing. I love Brock Lesnar. I think he's a great attraction. I think he's still something very special and needs to be treated with care. Um, he probably shouldn't have even put in this match to begin with. But I think that this was not the right move to do at all. Yeah, that's the thing. You put Brock in the match. He almost has to right. win, right? Because right. Uh, he, he is this indestructible force. And I and I think that works. I mean, I think, by and large, that's the way uh, you book him. That said, you could also put him in this match and not have him lose, right? Uh, so, so neither win nor lose, uh, but just somebody else gets pinned. Uh, I understand... Especially because, you know, the word was that they really wanted to build day one to something special. One of the, the tent poles of the WWE calendar every year uh, that they felt the need to do something extra special. Uh, but, yeah, that said, I really like Biggie. Uh, I I think he brings uh, a lot to the table. You know, I, I was uh, I went to a Buffalo Wild Wings the other day and they've got all the the sports channels up and there's Biggie on ESPN or something being interviewed. Uh, and he, he's, he's got this crossover uh, appeal that um, I, I don't think they've had uh, in, in a while in a lot of their champions. Uh, that said, you've got to be realistic that he wasn't moving the needle. Um, and he certainly isn't the draw that Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns are. Uh, so, I could see them, whether it's temporary or not, thinking, look, we we now have Roman Reigns as the world champion on one of our brands, and we've got Brock Lesnar as world champion on another brand. Those, those are the two two top stars in, in WWE, for better or for worse, Brock Lesnar only being a part-timer. Um, but but I, I get the inclination to doing doing that. And um, as you touched on, I don't know if it's where it's going, but I'm at least very curious about... Um, the idea of unifying the titles, I mean, I think that makes a, a ton of sense. I, I think it, it it would make the world title a lot more special if there was only one of them. Um, you know, I guess you'd have to deal with the issue of having two touring brands and what you headline shows on one of those brands if you only hit one world champion. Um, but I don't know. Like so many things with WWE, uh, I guess we have to see this play out and 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 um, see where it goes. Uh, you're taking Bobby Lashley challenging Lesnar. I mean that it, it has the feel of a big match, something we haven't seen before, um, something that you know just just as a marquee match, two big giant, uh, powerful, you know, former MMA fighters doing battle in the ring that absolutely has some marquee value. Um, that. Any chance they put that title on on Bobby Lashley? Uh, then I do love the match. I think I think it's a great marquee matchup. Like you said, it's got built-in appeal. You know, it, it's it does some of the work for you. It's a match that a lot of people wanted to see. It's a logical match. Um, you know, in a perfect world, I, I would say that. I mean, it, it would make sense to me 
to have somebody different in there, especially when you're leading to WrestleMania rather than Lesnar and Reigns again. So that might be something in Lashley's favor where they could say, okay, well, at least that'll give us a different WrestleMania matchup. But I, I just don't know if I, I, I think they're kind of locked in on that, on that Lesnar Reigns thing again. But I do think that if you do it as a title unification, not saying they will, but if you do, that at least adds some more juice to the match, makes it something different. So that might be the way to go where people go, okay, yes, we've seen this before. We've seen it at WrestleMania before, but now, you know, it's for everything. Now it's for all the marbles. This is bigger than the other matches they've had. Um, So I think that's probably, well, I don't want to say probably, but I mean, that would be a logical place to take it. I also feel like if you do have one world champion, which I think is a good idea, especially now at a time when they're in some heated competition, and I I do believe in that kind of like all hands on deck kind of scenario, they've already established that in the past that the, the unified world champion can sort of float between the two brands. And I almost feel like the thing with Lesnar being this free agent, quote unquote, is almost like a tease for that, where the idea being that whoever holds that one belt is going to be able to go to whatever brand that he wants, which makes sense. And as far as having the two touring brands, I mean, look, it's been done before. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, even back in the in the 80s, when you did only have one world champion and you had multiple touring um, shows, I think they might have even had three touring shows. All I mean, you 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 have the talent. Your main event, it just isn't a, a world title match. You know, your main event is whatever the other like hottest hottest feud is. You know, like uh, whether it be um, you know what whatever your your t- hottest match would be, other than the title match. I mean, that that's kind of how they used to do it, and and it would seem to make sense to do it that way again. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the last house show I went to the the. Uh the Christmas weekend show at the garden, which lost. Um, and I guess both house shows, uh, that weekend lost their world title match because of these COVID concerns. The, they had aligned with edge and Kevin Owens in a cage. And that was absolutely a worthy main event. You know, um, I think most people would, would agree. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that this wouldn't be a new problem, um, or anything like that. Uh, that said, they also have two nights of WrestleMania, uh, this year, so, uh, again, you could come up with an attraction, I guess, to headline one night that, that doesn't have a world title on the line, or you could headline one of the nights as they did last year with a women's world title. Um, but I don't know. I, it, that feels a little bit outside of, of WWE's comfort zone. One other possible upside to this is that, um, potentially where this could lead is to Biggie winning the world title, recapturing the world title at WrestleMania. That would be a really cool moment um, for him. Uh, so, you know, may- maybe that appeases the the Biggie fans. Uh, but it's kind of hard to tell between now and then what what the path is for him. Again, like I said, he wants to work with Goldberg. Um, I don't know if that's the best idea, or if they I do think it, he, maybe I think do that in the, Saudi Arabia or something. Yeah, uh, but but I ma- think Biggie is. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe maybe Lashley actually wins the title at the Royal Rumble, and the direction you go at WrestleMania is Lashley versus Biggie for the world title with Biggie winning it back. I think Biggie is the only person that wants to see Biggie versus Goldberg. Yeah, I, I have to and say, and I get it. I mean, he, this is one of the the, the people he watched uh, growing up, one of his idols, and and the chance to share a ring with one of your idols uh, is is cool. 
And I think it's a it's an attraction, uh, but maybe not necessarily for the WrestleMania stage. So, you know, Saudi Arabia loves Goldberg. I'm sure <laughs> it's, it's not long before they're back over there. That's a match you could do over there. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, speaking of two nights of, of big shows, as WrestleMania um, is, is doing this year, uh, New Japan's been doing it for a couple years now and just had their uh, Wrestle Kingdom event uh, over the last couple nights. And I think this year is technically a third night uh, coming up, which kind of a... Uh, uh, a co-branded uh, show with uh, New Japan versus NOAA. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, the main event of, of Wrestle Kingdom uh, night one was uh, Okada taking on uh, Shingo Takagi and uh, winning back the IWGP uh, world title. We won't talk a lot about the show, but I do want to talk about just the decision to put that title back on uh, Okada uh, you know, I'm I'm all for it. Um, I I think he is a generational uh, talent. I know the uh, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame is uh, supposed to be um, announcing its new class any day now, and uh, the expectation is that he might have one of the the widest margins uh, uh, of being voted in of any first ballot um, uh, candidate. And uh, for good reason. I mean, I think uh, uh, I think you're sick of the uh, the Mount Rushmore uh, analogies, but I think he is on that Mount Rushmore of of Japanese uh, wrestlers. And uh, maybe when his career is all said and done, he might be um, at at the very top or at least close to it. And for the last couple of years, they've kind of pulled back. And I think there's different reasons. Some of them probably um, were were necessity. I think Okada might have been, been feeling some of the grind of that pace that he had um, of, of just putting out, you know, five-star matches of the year every time uh, he went out there for a number of years. Uh, but but it has been a couple of years since he wore that title, uh, I believe. And in the meantime, you know, they did Ibushi, they did Osprey, they did Shingo, they did Naito, uh, and, and all worthy top guys in New Japan. But Okada really is... Uh, I think on on a different level, and it reminds me of you know whether it was Bruno San Martino in the '70s or Hulk Hogan um, in the '80s or or John Cena in in the 2010s. When you've got that guy and he's that good and he's that over and he's that much of a difference maker, uh, you you ride it out, right? I mean, I I, I don't see any reason. Um, and and I think you establish guys and you groom guys uh, along the way, but. Um, I don't see any reason to shift off them. So I think it makes all the sense to have that title back on Okada. New Japan kind of had a down year in, in 2021. Um, I'm interested to see whether Okada can kind of uh, change their fortunes in, fortunes in 2022. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, as you said, he's he's been, whether pushed that way or not, he's been perceived as their top guy for many, many years now. It's kind of a situation like we sometimes see happening here where even though somebody may not be positioned that way any longer on on television, on the shows, as the top person, uh, still in the minds of fans, in the minds of the public, they are. And so that's kind of been the situation. And, uh, and honestly, you know, with New Japan and their history, that was the situation with Antonio Inoki for years and years, where it, it didn't matter how old he was getting, not saying that that Okada is at that age level, but it didn't matter how long he'd been around. It didn't matter if he kind of stepped into the background and, and was allowing, you know, new stars to kind of uh, take the take the spotlight. He was still perceived as the guy in New Japan. And that was partly because he owned the company. But I mean, once you're at that level 
especially I find this to be the case very often in Japanese wrestling. You stay at that level. You know, fans hold you in that high regard. And so it's somebody that you can always go back to. And it seems like they've gone back to him, which which would, would seem to be the way to go. I mean, why? if that's what fans want, if that's what the perception is, then kind of why not go with it? It's sort of like what, what was happening. I mean, it didn't last forever, but what was happening with Hulk Hogan for years where they kept trying to, and it happened with San Martino too. They kept trying to find somebody new and put it on somebody new, but then they bring him back because in the end it was never quite the same. And yeah. they knew that that's what people wanted. And eventually it runs its course. But like I said, I, I feel like the track record in Pururesu, whether it's New Japan, All Japan, is that um, there's more of a, a longer attention span. So I think um, he's probably going to be in that top spot, whether officially or unofficially, for as long as he wants to be. Yeah, yeah. And another one that comes to mind is, is with Cena. Um, I, th- I think they were kind of moving him out uh, a little right. bit earlier than, than they needed to. Uh, and and putting Roman Reigns in that position before he was ready, and even now that that Reigns has had a number of years as the top guy, uh, has not uh, reached. Objectively speaking, it just has not uh, reached the numbers, the metrics that uh, uh, John Cena did. Um, but uh, you, you touched on it. Uh, guess how old uh, Okada is? Oh boy, you're putting me on the spot. I I don't know. Um, thirty five. He's thirty four. Okay, yeah, it's, it's amazing yeah. that that he's had the run that he he has, and he's not thirty five yet. I mean, he's still yeah, um, he's just now entering his his mid thirties. Um, so yeah, I mean, here's a guy who you get another ten plus years out of. Um, uh, it, it, it's amazing. What well, what if anything do you see as his? And and there's no reason to think that this is even in the cards. Um, but uh, it is there. A future for him in the United States. Uh, how much does the appeal cross over? We saw, you know, Nakamura was uh, almost that level, another top top guy in Japan for a number of years. Granted, he was already a little older when WWE signed him, but I think there was all kinds of high hopes, and in some ways even higher hopes, because he um, he takes some of those boxes that Okada didn't in terms of uh, a more classic American appeal. Uh, including having a little more of a grasp of the English language. Uh, this is all to say, could Okada get over uh, in, in the U.S.? And I guess it's a different question whether you're talking WWE and AEW, too. Yeah, I, I'd be very hesitant, especially after seeing what happened with, with Nakamura. I mean, um, he's what happened with him is just a classic example of how the talent from Japan gets mishandled and they don't really know what to do with them. I mean, they made him into a caricature. They made him, you know, it's almost impossible to believe that it's the same person, even though a lot of his persona and character is similar, but, um, the presentation, everything about his position on the card. I mean, it's hard to explain to maybe somebody that just started watching wrestling yesterday, um, there was a point where Nakamura was considered um, possibly the best in the world, in mm-hmm. the world, you know, and and, and that is, uh, I don't think anybody would say that now. I mean, uh, and, and it's all because of how he's been handled. And I would hate to see something like that happen to Okada, although, like you said, it might be a different story if he went to AEW. I don't know, but I have to say, even going to AEW, Based on their own track record, I don't think it goes as badly as 
Nakamura in WWE, but I do think it is still a step down. And I don't know why he does it, obviously, except if it's money. Although recently I was reading something where he was kind of talking about how he'd love to work with CM Punk and Brian Danielson, which indicates to me where his attentions might be aiming when it comes to the United States. But I I feel like with AEW, they'd give him better matches than he would get in WWE. They'd give him that that push for a while. But then I think he'd kind of get lost in the shuffle. I I don't think it would be a long-term deal. So maybe if he comes in, gets his dream matches, pops his um, numbers and things, and then kind of goes back, that might be the way to go to him, but with him. But but a long-term American run, I just can't see happening. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a very good possibility that, that we see just that in, in 2022. I mean, they, they've had this uh, kind of talent exchange program, AW and uh, New Japan. And I'm sure that's on their wish list. And, and you think of, you know, Okada came up with a couple of them, uh, Danielson and Punk, but but a bunch of others. I mean, the the, the next um, Omega match, uh, imagine that happening on an AEW card. Uh, so, yeah, I, I could see that. And I think that could absolutely work, kind of the occasional uh, appearance. Um, but but I agree. I, I don't know that WWE would know what to do with Okada, nor would they. Want. Part of me thinks somebody there would have to say look if there's a chance of getting this guy we have to get him um but i don't know that they'd know what to do with him and and um uh, this is probably a good uh, transition to to the next thing i want to talk about but but remember nakamura when he was in nxt did carry over a lot of that mystique and that appeal i remember going to um a couple of uh, nxt shows when when he was there and was working at the champion as champion and he absolutely had that rock star special feeling and i think it even carried over to the very beginning of his wwe run uh that entrance that music i mean he just kind of had an appeal you know some of it falls on him too right i mean um he didn't exactly set the world on fire uh in the ring remember they gave him uh, aj styles at wrestlemania mm-hmm. some years back and, and people, i think that was a turning point for him yeah people you know mouths were watering over right. the prospect of that match and it was okay and they had a couple other matches, and they were okay too. But but he never had that breakout performance. He's also a little older when he came over for WWE. Uh, but but there's definitely, you know, whether it's fair or not, there's a thought that he's kind of been okay coasting uh, in WWE. You know, living in Florida, surfing, uh, making you know some some good money, and and maybe not have to beat himself up like he did um, for years and years in in Japan. Um, So on on the topic of NXT, that's the other title I wanted to uh, touch on, uh, a big title change uh, last night with Braun Breaker uh, winning the NXT title from uh, Tommaso Ciampa. We've talked a lot about um, NXT 2.0. Again, I I don't think it's a very good show. I I think it's it's unwatchable uh, (laughs) most weeks. But and I think a lot of people agree, the exception being Braun Breaker, who has been a standout, you know, breakout, a star of NXT 2.0. And uh, in as much as, you know, this is Vince McMahon's NXT and he's got his his um, he's more hands on. Uh, with it and the idea is to groom stars that he sees as a good fit for WWE's main roster i think it makes all the sense in the world to put the the title uh on on braun breaker i mean i i don't know why have that championship on on somebody who uh sort of 
personifies the NXT that they were trying to move away from. Uh, and, and I feel like almost objectively, and Braun Breaker, I'm sure, would probably agree, Tommaso Ciampa is the the, the more skilled, more experienced uh, a wrestler. And we saw him at his best just be, you know, one of the highlights of, of I, I think, of that heel run with Johnny Gargano. Uh, when they were headlining some shows and and um, uh, him coming to the ring with no music and just being as as despicable a heel as there's been uh, in in the last decade, so uh, we we know Tommaso Ciampa is great, but we also know that you know Mr. McMahon's not terribly interested. Uh, so uh, they turned the page, and and now Braun Breaker is the champion. Um, do you think this is the right move, and and where do you think they go from here? Yeah, definitely the right move. Not only is it the right move, I think they should have done it the first time they wrestled. Yeah. I, I didn't see the point in beating Braun Breaker like that. He, he's not the kind of a talent that I think you do that with. And and he, he's the kind that, that, you know, not to say that he's a Goldberg, but I mean, like, he's that type of a deal where you want to keep him as strong as possible. And one of his greatest strengths is, you know, kind of having him run over people. The, so so beating him too often, I think, is something that hurts him. You know, I, I think he is the kind of a performer that this new NXT was made for. And in fact, I'll go even so far as to say, I think even in the old XT, NXT, I think he would have done well and he would have gotten over. Um, you know, he, he's just a natural, as we've seen. Like, the, these matches we're seeing him in, in NXT are the first matches that he's ever had in front yeah. of live audiences, Crazy. which is incredible. And, you know, I, I cannot stand the, the rhetoric that people get into of, well, he hasn't paid his dues and he hasn't been around long enough. And how could you put a title on somebody that blah, 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 blah. There is so much precedent for that. You know, you could point to a million examples. You know, Lex Luger was one Goldberg, like we said, Kurt Angle, people, right? Yeah. Kurt Angle, people that come out of the box and are so super hot, and you want to run with it. The, the, this idea of dues is nonsense. You know, you do what works. You do what the people want. You do what's going to draw well, and what's going to and what's going to spark interest. Uh, you pr you protect people's weaknesses. You highlight their strengths. Not you know that that's what you do. And so that's the move with this guy. There would be no point in just having him mix it up on the mid card until he's quote unquote ready. Because I feel like you dilute him by doing that and you weaken you weaken him. And that's been done to so many people uh, because, I think, of this mentality that I think even extends to some veterans of the business of just like, well, this guy's not ready yet and he's got to do this and he's got to pay his dues and do that. This was the moment to do it. Um, he is main roster bound. There's no question about it. Um, and, and this NXT run is going to do what it was meant to do, which is to prepare him for that. So let him run roughshod, let him do what he's capable of doing. And when the time is right, you bring him up and you, and you let him loose. The, the issue there is, and, and this is one of the problems with them kind of moving away from that old guard is who does he work with? Right. I mean, um, there's. Look, there's talent there, and there's very good wrestlers there, but but it's not the NXT of, of even six months ago or uh, a year ago uh, where, you know, in, in some ways, Tommaso Ciampa is the, the perfect opponent for him. Um, but And maybe you get another match or two uh, out of the two of them. Uh, but outside of that, when you, you look at the, the, the new class of uh, NXT wrestlers, there's not a lot of depth there, and um, he needs to, to wrestle 
people who are better than him, right? I mean, to, mm-hmm. to become better. So um, that that's kind of a question, uh, especially if, if Gargano's not coming back. Um, I mean, you still have, you know, Pete Dunne and Cameron Grimes, and uh, there, there are some very good wrestlers there, uh, but they really are from the old NXT, and uh, there, there's not a lot there for uh, the, the new NXT. I, I, I really wonder who... who you know, kind of getting ahead of ourselves, like who's the next NXT champion? Um, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and if uh, I think there's going to be a temptation and I don't know if it's necessarily a bad idea, but to, to move him up relatively quickly. I mean, I don't know yes. if by this summer we don't see him uh, on the main roster and he, that could also be um, kind of a mixed blessing, too. I mean, if, if he's if he's not that ready, he. he as as much as everybody raves about him for good reason, he still has a ways to go, right? I mean, he he's still very new and and pretty green. He just has um, a a obvious knack for it, um, and and part of that is again coming up in, in a wrestling family, which is another thing I wanted to talk about. I mean, I think it was off the uh, after the show went off the air. Uh, Rick Steiner came into the ring, and it seemed like a real nice moment. And it's just sort of puzzling that that they tiptoe around this uh, uh, so much. Uh, in part because people like the Steiner brothers, right? I mean, they, right. they, uh, uh, and they're also kind of this, I don't want to say forgotten act, but um, I, I think one of the, the the real unfortunate things about the Steiner brothers is that for, for a whole generation, what people think about is Big Papa Pump, right? Uh, who, who was a top act in a, a failing version of WCW. I mean, he, he is sort of like synonymous with the worst of WCW, not because of him, because he, he was a highlight and, and it was a character that was a lot of fun and, and it was over. Um, but, and I know you're a fan uh, of the Steiners and of early nineties uh, WCW. Um, the Steiner brothers were the reason to watch early nineties WCW. They, they were absolutely revolutionary. And, um, Rick Steiner in particular, uh, ha- has even more of a history, I think than, than Scott does. And, uh, doesn't have that big pop, a pop era. He had his own era where he wasn't so great. WCW, you know, feuding with Chucky and all that toward the end. <laughs> um, but do, do, do you think that, you know, more should be done to make it sort of clear. To, and and again, they tip. They're not hiding it in some ways because there's all kinds of allusions to it, and just the way he dresses and looks, and different references, and using the Steiner recliner and all that. Uh, but but they're also just not sort of addressing it up front. And uh, I I think that it could be, if, if handled well, a meaningful part of his act. Um, and, and the obvious thing to do is to have somebody beat up Rick Steiner, right? And and uh, then you've got. A, a personal view there. So uh, are, are you puzzled as to, to why they, they're not embracing more of that lineage? I'm not puzzled because I think I have a, an idea of why they're doing it, which I'll explain, but I think it's really dumb. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a huge missed opportunity. Uh, the Steiners do have this great legacy. I mean, more of the legacy is WCW. I would venture to say than WWF. I feel like most people would, would, agree that their best years were WCW. I mean, the, you know, the, the stuff with Sting and Lex Luger at Super Brawl, uh, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. I mean, the incredible stuff. They were the highlights of almost any show they were on. They were one of those rare tag teams. And this is one thing that I don't think happened as much when they were in <clears throat> the WWF. They were one of those rare tag teams that could easily main event. 
that they they were they were considered a main event tag team act like the Road Warriors were. I feel I I put New Day in that category. These tag teams where um, they're bigger than just the tag team division. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it's bizarre. There have been so much hints on television. They've referred to Braun Breaker as a dog-faced gremlin. I mean, how much more obvious yeah. can you get? He's doing the Frankensteiner. He's dressed like one of the Steiner brothers. You know, he's got, like, that colorful singlet, like what they used to wear. Um, it, it, it's um, the, the theory I have, and I could be wrong about this, is because they're so protective of intellectual property these days and they like to change people's names and everything like that, I feel like with the competition going on with AEW, where they're rating their talent, I think there might be a fear that this is somebody that Tony Khan would definitely want. And the thing about being a Steiner and having Rick Steiner with him or even Scott Steiner, that's something he could do anywhere he wants to do because that's his real name. That's his family. And I don't think they want to give him something in WWE to, that would be so closely identified with him that he could then bring to the competition fully formed, uh, using the same name, having the same kind of gimmick and people with him. I think there's a paranoia that he would potentially take that with him when he left. That is the only thinking that I can imagine that's keeping them from just calling him Braun Steiner and having Rick with him or even Scott. It's the only thing I could think of as to why they're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I, I, I again, you don't want to kind of dwell on it uh, uh, too much because you want him to be his own man. But but the Steiners um, as an act, as a tag team act, I think I've been out of the, the limelight long enough that, um, you know, WWE is always kind of bringing out the same old legends, you know, Sergeant Slaughter playing cards in the back with Ron Simmons or something like uh, that. Or yes. bring out Mike Rotondo for the hundredth time. Uh, the, the Steiners, both guys look good. Right. Um, I, I I don't think it's unthinkable that they could even get in the ring. Uh, so can you imagine a, a, a six man match with with Braun and his dad and his uncle against somebody uh, or, or even a tag match with uh, Braun and his dad? Uh, I, I think there's a, some appeal there. I don't know. And, and, and maybe I should know if there's some heat there with with Scott in particular. I mean, I, I guess I've heard over the years that there there are some issues. I don't know if that's what's kept him out of. Um, a Hall of Fame, but I mean, you could sort of see like where where this could all go. A Hall of Fame induction of the Steiners that Braun induct them, and you have them have a little more TV time, somehow get involved, give him some rub, and kind of reintroduce this act um, that I think in in some ways has sort of like been forgotten a little bit uh, by history, but was hugely hugely uh, influential. You know, in 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 my formative days of becoming a wrestling fan, um, Steiners were one of the first acts that really attracted me to. Uh, to WCW in the early 1990s, and um, it was—I mean, t- today it, it's so kind of pedestrian. But but the Frankensteiner and the Tilt World Suplex and the Steiner lines and mm-hmm. uh, the top rope Bulldog—it was revolutionary uh, at the time. Those guys were amazing. They were the best tag team of their era, I would say, yeah. in in any company, especially in America. I mean, they were the best. They were the gold standard. And yeah, I mean, you know, I. I Braun Breaker's been doing the Frankensteiner. And and the thing, the thing that was cool about what they did was, um, yeah, it's one of those examples where when you look at people that were influential in the past, sometimes it's hard to understand how influential they were because of how influential they were, because then everybody started doing their stuff. And so right. you're going, well, why are they such a big deal? Well, because nobody was doing it, especially 
big guys like that. That was the thing. You would see, I mean, to do a flying head scissors, which basically a Frankensteiner is, for a guy that size, unheard of. I mean, no one, absolutely no one. The only people yeah. that ever did those kind of moves were guys that were very light on their feet, very aerial. There were the smaller guys you would see do that. But he turned it into a power move. You know, that it had never been a power move before he did it. That was the thing. And yeah, I mean, like they they're on that list, like Owen Hart and or Bret Hart and Kurt Hennig and people that everybody that's wrestling now watched and tried to emulate. So now it becomes the most common thing ever. But it's only because of those guys that paved the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a perfect transition into the next topic, uh, which I want to talk about for some time now, and that is the second annual uh, PWI Tag Team 50 list. Uh, it's in the February issue of uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And this is something that that uh, I really wanted to happen for uh, a long time. We did it for the first time last year. And, and the idea kind of, you know, getting back to what we were just talking about is that tag team wrestling is special and one of the things we'd always deal with in in um putting together the pwi 500 is how do you fairly rank um a a nick jackson or uh before he was a singles wrestler a biggie or somebody like that um or a mark briscoe or a jay briscoe and inevitably they'd be buried you know somewhere in the hundreds or 200s even though for what they did they were the very best uh but but putting them in the same playing field as uh, singles wrestlers, inevitably you were going to get lost in a shuffle because you're one half of an act. So the idea was to kind of um, give them their their own ranking and and recognize the kind of unique art of tag team wrestling. Uh, and uh, like the PWI 500 and uh, what is now the Women's 150, there's a grading period, there's uh, criteria with tag teams i think the criteria is a little different we still you know um pay uh, a mind to titles won and win loss records and and things like that but with tag teams there is still that there's that x factor of uh just cohesiveness and uh teamwork and and um i think that comes through uh, a lot and a fun list uh this year we won't go through all of it but i did want to go through the top 10 at least and i'll work my way down uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time on uh, 10 through 2, but we'll spend a little more time on uh, number 1. Uh, number 10, uh, the Good Brothers, uh, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson. You know, at this point, a real kind of veteran team, heavyweight team, had kind of a career resurgence uh, in 2020, uh, back on Impact, and also making some appearances on AEW, aligned with the top star there, Kenny Omega. Uh, number 9, uh, the Street Profits. Who I think are just a fantastic uh, act. Uh, I saw them; they, they essentially worked the same semi semi main event at the Garden Show in a tag team match with RK Bro and and some other tag teams. Uh, I think it was the the Mysterios, and um, just carry themselves like like real superstars. They didn't have the year that they had in 2020, um, but uh, another terrific year, and I think really have risen as one of the better tag teams uh, that WWE's put out in 10 plus years. Uh, number eight, Suzuki Gun, uh, that's El Desperado and Kanemaru over in New Japan. Number seven, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Uh, almost by default, I mean, they were the strongest women's tag team in WWE uh, over the year. Had two title runs, but also that was over by the, the summer. Uh, number six, uh, MSK, Nash Carter and Wesley, who have transitioned 
you know, they're one kind of unique act in in NXT that I think have made that transition to NXT 2.0 just fine, and in some ways might even be a better f- fit in the uh, rebranded uh, NXT. Uh, number five, uh, ALK, which is uh, the team of uh, Julia and Suri over at um, Stardom. Suri now the new uh, world champion over at Stardom. Number four, uh, the Usos, who I think if we read this list uh, now might be even uh, higher. You, you might even be, be able to make the argument that they should be number one, and they've had a fantastic uh, last few months. Um, number three, uh, Dangerous Techners, uh, Taichi and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. over at New Japan held the uh the, the tag team heavyweight titles uh over there i think on three different occasions during the evaluation period i believe just lost them over the weekend at russell kingdom number two uh lucha bros phoenix and pentagon um and who are uh the tag champs i believe over in aw now and uh let's talk uh, about the number one tag team i don't think a surprise for a whole lot of people but I'm a little surprised by how these guys still have as much heat and uh, haters out there. Uh, and that's the Young Bucks, uh, Nick and, and Matt Jackson. Um, do, do you think they were the best tag team of 2021? Um, is this the right pick? I think for a couple of reasons, it is the right pick. Um, even if they're not among my personal favorites, I still think it's the right pick because uh, even from a kayfabe point of view, you know, they did have a dominant year and they were champions and they were positioned in that way. But even from a perception point of view, I mean, it, it's hard to argue. And this is even taking into account WWE. It's hard to disagree that they are the most high profile um, tag team in the sport of pro wrestling today. It, it really is. Uh, they really have that aura to them that teams of the past have had where you just know this is the tag team of the moment. I mean, yes, the, the other contenders for that spot are New Day and and um, and Jimmy and Jay Uso. You know, New Day, in a way, I would say, especially from a kayfabe point of view, that you can argue that they're the greatest tag team in WWE history, period. But and and Usos have had the longest run, I think, of any tag team in WWE history. But again, the thing with the Young Bucks is they're kind of what I mentioned before with the Steiners is um, a main event tag team. They're a tag team that's a top draw. They're a tag team that transcends the tag team division, transcends tag team wrestling. I personally (laughs) do not enjoy their matches. I just don't. (laughs) We've talked about this before. I think it's too much chaos. Nothing makes sense. The referee's just impotent. It's just, it's a stunt show. It's just how many of my things can I get in and do? And you know what? People like it. Like I always say, I separate my tastes from what works for business. People like it. The fans are eat it up, whether they're faces or heels. I think they're better as heels. So Keep doing it, you know, keep doing it. Don't listen to 47-year-old me, uh, that's for sure. Whether I enjoy it or not is irrelevant. They are the the top tag team in the sport. And even though PWI gets slammed sometimes for being in Tony Khan's pocket, and now we've got Omega as number one in the 500 singles, and now we've got the Young Bucks number one in tag team, um, you know, they've got ammunition to say that. But when you look at it objectively, it's hard to debate. It's hard to argue. You know, who else would you have put in that spot, especially at the time that we were judging it, too? Uh, I think that was the choice to be made, for sure. Yeah, you, you think you get a lot of hate over the uh, AEW love now. 
wait until the next issue comes out. Oh, right. <laughs> spoiler, yeah, spoiler free. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, but yeah, I think you have the, the exact right take on it. And, and when I was thinking about, you know, what I wanted to say about the, the Bucks, so much of it is couched like you couch it is, well, you don't necessarily have to like them. And I don't know that I do, but you have to get it right. I mean, uh, uh, that's just it. They, they are a real um, a, kind of in a different sense than you usually use a word, but a controversial tag team, a controversial wrestling act in, in general, just because of of that style. And I see it all the time on, on social media, um, you know, an older generation, uh, a fan probably around our age who uh, came up on the Attitude Era or, or 80s wrestling or 90s wrestling and see what what they see as these two kind of pretty boys, soft, small um, guys, you know, and, and who, who do really flashy moves and don't real don't look like legit tough guys or, or fighters. Um, and I, I get all that. Uh, but you cannot argue that they, they uh, have not been um, not just innovators, but but have really like like few other people. Uh, in wrestling changed the the sport, changed the art of wrestling, changed what wrestling looks like in in the last 10 years. Maybe not for the better, you know, if, if it's just not your cup of tea. I mean, when when you think about that short list, and I always go back to that match, which was, was it uh, Osprey and Ricochet in, in New Japan? The one mm-hmm. that got Vader all pissed off uh, uh, years yes, ago. Yes. Um, and uh, the Bucks are right there, right? I mean, they, they, they're all kind of from that same school. And um, but the the Bucks have have taken it further, and you can argue that there isn't an AEW, or or at least AEW doesn't look the way it does without the Bucks. You know, who are both kind of co-founders, and I think they're executive vice presidents. But their vision for wrestling um, really helped kind of shape what AEW is and what the the modern wrestling style is. And there are a lot of people who don't like that. So so I get it. So. Um, as you touched on, you, you don't have to like them. You've got to respect them. And beyond them just being, and this is this is where you really need to respect them. I mean, whether you like the style or not, what you cannot deny is that these are two guys who never phoned it in, right? I mean, they you put them in a ring on TV, on pay-per-view, what have you, and they are going to, you know, damn near kill themselves to, to entertain uh, the fans. And, and you find out, you know, months later that they've had, they had all kinds of health issues during um, this run that you wouldn't even necessarily know in watching them um, because of the quality of, of matches they've put on. Uh, I also think they've grown some, and, and the flashiness is is still very much there, but I do think that they've gotten more of the fundamentals, and you do see a little more kind of long-term selling and, and stuff like that. And um, look, I mean, whether it was the match with FTR or the Lucha Bros or a bunch of other guys, I mean, these guys are constantly going out there and putting on matches that get in the conversation of greatest tag team matches in uh, uh, American history. So um, I... Uh, and just from kind of a kayfabe standpoint, they had a hell of a year. They, they, they won the titles, held on to them for many, many months, had lots of defenses. Uh, so um, I don't want to say it a no-brainer because um, Lucha Bros had a terrific year. So there was definitely some competition. Again, I think if the valuation period was a, a little bit different, the Usos would be in that conversation more than than they are. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think there, there's any... I, I think you're... You don't get it or you're being dishonest if you say, ah, oh, these guys suck and they don't belong in, in the conversation. Um, they, they are 
the most influential tag team of a generation, you know. Yes. And that was the case last year when they didn't rank number one. And even if they don't rank number one next year, that'll probably still be the case. I mean, the, the, a lot of these other teams are terrific. And on any given year, they might have a better year than the Bucks. But what the Bucks uh, have done, I mean, you l- look at Ring of Honor, right, that is now folded. And you look at um, their high point when they were doing their best business. It's when the Bucks were on top uh, and, and they were headlining shows. And, um, you know, the, the, all this stuff doesn't necessarily equate into them being the best tag team in any given, given year. But, uh, you know, the, it, 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 this much is the case. We'll ask you this way. If and when the Bucks appear on a uh, Observer Hall of Fame ballot, are you voting them in? Uh, yes, I would eventually yeah, vote them point. in. Yeah, w- without question. I mean, I always like to vote in the people that are early, from an earlier generation that I feel belong in first. But if you're asking me if I feel like they would deserve my vote, yes. Once they're no longer active, absolutely they would deserve my vote. I, I think they did. They'd get my vote today if if I don't like active. voting for people that are still like fully active and at the uh, top. you're one of those. <laughs> I, I just don't. I, I just don't because I feel like spoiler. well, like like Omega getting in, I thought was ridiculous. I mean, the the guy is just now in the prime of his career. You know, you don't know. You don't even. First of all, you don't even know what's going to happen for the rest of his career. But even if you're saying just based on the his time now, I mean, there are a million guys that are done wrestling, not a million, but a significant number <laughs> that are not in that. I feel like belong in before somebody like him would go in, in my mind. That's just my, my preference as a voter. I think saying, I think cause the, the rule that Meltzer has is it has to be, what is it? 15 years since they debuted or something or i think whatever it is it's got to be made longer it's got to be a longer stretch of time i think that's that's um that's a discussion uh worth having yes Uh, but if they are on the ballot um and i get where you're coming from and i i think omega is a different case i don't know that for me, he's as much a slam dunk as um, like an Okada who appears on the ballot for the first time this year, or even um, Young Bucks. And I and I think one of the things you're touching on, which is legitimate, is well, here's a good example: is is uh, Junkyard Dog, who I think still hasn't made the whole. Sergeant thing. Slaughter is not in. But but the, but well, I think both of those are good examples. But but to take JYD for uh, a moment, right? If if he appeared on the ballot when. Um, he was headlining in Mid-South, you'd think, well, absolutely, right? I mean, look at this guy. He's one of the biggest stars uh, in, in the country right now. Uh, and then you see how not even the second half, probably the second two-thirds of his career went, and and he never recaptured, you know, right. uh, th- that uh, that level uh, in his career. And I think it's why he has struggled to get into that Hall of Fame is because you can't help but think of him kind of, you know, no pun intended, but dogging it in, in WWE for all those years and then in WCW and being in really bad shape and having terrible matches. Uh, so, yeah, that that can happen. But I do think that there are some talents that, even if they never do anything good again, have already established themselves. I mean, if, if uh, whether it's an Okada or, uh, you know, John Cena or The Rock or Steve Austin, uh, just those years that they were on top, those prime, their prime years, they were so, so special 
that they belong just for that time, even if they they you know never reclaim those heights again. And I think you can make that argument for the Young Bucks. Yes, I think you could. I think my my biggest issue is when you have people that that are very high profile today and on television wrestling every week. That what it also does is it takes attention away and it detracts from with voters toward uh, away from people from the past who are no longer in the public eye who are just as deserving in some cases if not more deserving and it and it makes them have a far less chance of getting votes and that that's another problem i have with with doing that it's like you know if somebody is 30 35 years old who are they going to vote for the young bucks or mr wrestling too you know what i mean but i but i feel like both of those acts deserve to be in the hall of fame yeah, I, I don't know exactly how it's done, but I do think um, Dave Meltzer said that they sort of adjust for that, okay. um, that that they have enough representation in, in all the categories, because every year that ballot comes and there are entire categories where I won't vote for anybody because I, I feel it's unfair for me to pick because I just I don't know it well enough. Right. Um, but I think that they have enough people uh, among um, the, the folks who are voted, voting to adjust for all that. Um, and you know, I think Meltzer would say at the end of the day, if, 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 whether it's Sergeant Slaughter or JYD, if, um, they're supposed to get in, they'd get in or, or will get in. But, um, you know, I think both those cases, and this is a whole other show to talk about, but, but yes. there's obviously stuff, <laughs> there's obviously stuff weighed against them as well. Right. I mean, it, it, the, the consistency wasn't always there with, uh, both the, the highs were high, but the lows were, were pretty low as well. And in, in, um, uh, both those cases, um, if if you made a timeline of their careers, and they both had very long careers, uh, the the parts where they really shined bright might not take up that much of the timeline. And um, you know, it's certainly the case with with Slaughter as well, who spent a lot of years, um, you know, not exactly setting the world on fire. Uh, yes, but yes. but burned super hot when he did. Right, and, and he became in that moment that he had he became one of those transcendent names that becomes bigger than wrestling and uh, where everybody knew who he was. And and I think people of a certain age to this day still know that name, even if they never watched wrestling, they know that name. Yeah. I mean, there's the famous story of Richard Nixon marking out for him on an airplane once. He, he likes to tell that story because he was sitting next to him and he was just blown away by that. And I think even for that window of time, like le- same thing like we're talking about for the Young Bucks, the height that he attained, even in that shorter amount of time, I think makes him worthy in my eyes. But but again, this has nothing to do with the tag team 50. Yeah, but, 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 uh, not to drag it out uh, yes. even further, but I think you're touching on something that is maybe a blind spot in the the, the Wrestling Observer uh, Hall of Fame. is um, and, and It's that kind of intangible, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I, I totally know what you're talking about with uh sergeant slaughter is like and that's not going to show up in match quality or you know drawing what it is it's Uh, the intangible of saying like if you say to somebody yes uh there's a pro wrestling hall of fame over here and uh sergeant slaughter is not in it and having that person's jaw hit the floor you know what i mean that is the intangible of saying how in the world and you can't measure that but say how in the world do you have a a pro wrestling hall of fame and sergeant slaughter can't get enough votes to go in (laughs) you know it's it's bizarre the the one for 
the one for me that that fits that bill, and this might lead to another argument between you and I, is the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, and I, I no, think, I would I would agree with you on that. I would agree with you on that. Yes. Yeah. That, and and I get every, um, you know, everything that is against him. You know, his matches were terrible. Uh, didn't necessarily have the big, the longest run at the top. But I think that same question that you just brought up, you know, pose it to sort of like the casual fan or the non-fan. Can you believe that there is a wrestling hall of fame and the ultimate warrior is not on it? That they, and, and, and I'll go one step further, ask a lot of wrestlers that, and, and, uh, uh, not just the, the, you know, the ones you'd think, but ask Brian Danielson that ask, right. um, you know, Frankie Kazarian that, uh, uh, those two, two guys come to mind that, that I happen to know are ultimate warrior fans. Is the warrior not in, is he not in the observer? He's not hall? in the wrestling observer hall of fame. I know that oh because I, I vote for him every year. And I thought and, he was, and, I don't and know honestly, why. I don't think he'll ever get it. I mean, the, and with him different than some other guys, I mean, there's, there's nothing, obviously him having passed away, uh, going on eight years ago, there's obviously nothing that he, that he can do. Uh, now other guys, you know, you could sort of like change your case, like like uh, you can win over some hearts and minds. I, I thought the um, that were way off here, <laughs> but the, 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 the those documentaries last year, um, the the Vice one and the WWE one, I actually thought it helped to make the case for him, even though that there were so many people disparaging him, and for good reason. I think it was also a reminder of um, what was so special. Uh, about him. And again, uh, and I have all respect, respect in the world for uh, Dave Meltzer, but um, it's going to be lost on on him. I mean, I think you'd just see, well, a guy was on steroids and he, and he couldn't throw a clothesline worth a damn and uh, was difficult to work with and nobody liked him and, he, you know, was potentially homophobic, racist, every bad thing that you could say about the Ultimate Warrior, which I totally, totally get. I still think he was extra special and should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's the intangible stuff that you can't measure because you, you just can't treat pro wrestling the same way as you do, like, say, baseball or football right. or boxing, because it's it's not a pure sport like that. It, it is show business. It is in some ways more like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, where, where it's like you look at it, an act and you, you throw numbers out the window and you just go like. Oh my God! If for God's sake, they have to be in there. I mean, it's 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 uh, I don't know. It, it's the Beatles. Like I don't care yeah. that they were only together for eight years. Like they have to be. How could I they just, not be? I just know? had this conversation on on New Year's with my my older brother, who's like you know a Kiss fan, an ACDC fan, ACDC fan. He's very kind of like has a a narrow view of rock music, and and uh, Nirvana came up, and he didn't think Nirvana should be. In the Another great. Example, I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, and they got they were around for just a few years. Then the guy blew himself away. And, you know, it's like Nirvana is one of the. the but I, I, I get that view of it. Like, right. The longevity is not there. Um, never had a I, I believe. Well, maybe they did. But but, you know, never had a number one single or anything like that. Um, but they're Nirvana. <laughs> right. I mean, how. Right. Uh, and, and wrestling is more like that than. Than yes. sports are. It's more like you have to include that intangible. You have to include star power and aura and like the the perception because it's not just a numbers game or how many RBIs, how many home runs, how many strike. It's not. It's just not like the, that. The tricky thing is that you would think that that star power aura would translate to box office, right? And and they do look at box office, but it's not always that cut and dry, right? You know, right. Um, what if somebody's a mid-carder? You know, there's plenty of mid-carders right, that right. belong. And there's all kinds of other 
issues working against you sometimes in in um, being part of a you know there are um, wrestlers who can lay claim to having uh, headlined for these shows that had huge gates and huge pay-per-view buys that realistically weren't the level of stars as uh, an Ultimate Warrior or Sergeant Slaughter or uh, a Junkyard Dog. Uh, so there are other factors that that you have to. So yeah, some of it is just aura and and it it, it and um, influence and uh, um, that in in all these cases, I think these are wrestlers who have a lot of it. So yeah. Anyhow, so much for keeping this concise. <laughs> it's short, but I think it, it's a worthwhile conversation. One we maybe when they. Um, and I expect probably in the next few weeks when they come out with the class, we could spend some time talking about uh, the latest inductees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's always one of my favorite topics to discuss and who I voted for and why and all that. And yeah, I, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Brian. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. A good conversation. As always. Uh, oh, quickly, why don't you tell uh, folks about um, pre-ordering your book and uh, everything else that you've got going on? Sure. So a couple of quick things. Uh, my biography of the original Sheik called Blood and Fire it's officially out on April 12th, but uh, Amazon and other places like barnesandnoble.com and stuff, they're all taking pre-orders now, so you can easily go and pre-order. And the people who pre-order get priority when the book is finally published. Uh, they'll get priority from Amazon. They'll be getting them first. And there's uh, there's a Kindle version that's going to come out, so if, you're, you know, if, if that's your preference, you can do that as well. Um, also, the other thing I want to mention is my own podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle, which we are just ready to go. I'm just waiting for the green light. It's been a couple of weeks now, but it should be just about set to go. It's an old school wrestling podcast that I'm going to be doing with the Arcadian Vanguard Network. And um, my first guest is Stu Sachs, the former uh, publisher of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So once it is uh, posted and available, I'll let people know, but the website is going to be suawpod.com it's not up yet but it's going to be very soon who knows maybe by the time this goes up maybe it will be posted I, i'm waiting with bated breath like everybody else but <laughs> it's it's called shut up and wrestle so uh you will be hearing about it shortly yeah it sounds like an absolute must listen i mean especially for for folks like you and me who uh and a lot of, of listeners i imagine who are of a, a certain age a certain generation and uh, nostalgic types. Um, this sounds very much right up my alley. So I definitely look forward to giving it a listen. Brian, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, right now, let's hear uh, Righteous Reg's uh, hot seat interview with the former WWE champion, Big E. E, thank you for joining me today. This is an honor, a privilege, all the great things I could ever imagine. No, I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, so I've been, I've been watching WWE for 30 years. Um, I'm black man. Um, this year I've interviewed two black WWE champions and I just can't even believe that I can say that out loud. One and two, I can't believe that that happened. That's amazing. So first of all, how does it feel being the fourth ever black WWE champion? Something that, I mean, that just doesn't happen every day. Yeah, no, I just honestly, I really love getting to this moment where we're at in WWE. And I've been just in wrestling in general. And you look right. around and there are just so many really dope black performers. And what I love is that so many of us are like one of ones and authentic and feel like ourselves. And and I love that we're getting into this point where we're not all like forced into a certain box or a certain stereotype. 
so yeah, I'm just, I, you know, more than anything, I'm just really proud of the state of like black wrestling. Um, you know, I kind of was talking about this earlier and I feel like we have a lot of fans who felt like a lot of black fans, especially who loved wrestling and have for a long time, but didn't right. necessarily see themselves or their culture reflected on, you know, wrestling TV. And, and I, I love that we're getting to a point. I'm such a massive Bianca fan. And I love when I see her, she's such an incredible human being, but such an incredible performer as well. And is so genuine, authentic, and, and just belongs where she's at. And you know, so I, I just love the state of, of black wrestling right now, because I think there's just so many dope performers that, uh, you know, that look like me. Yeah, that is awesome. And that's true because Bianca's probably, she's like one of the most authentic wrestlers in all of wrestling. You just, when you see her do a promo, you're just like, this feels real. This feels like something she would say. And this feels like how she would act. And that's great. And that's also how I feel about you, which is super dope. How does it feel? You know, like before you became WWE champion, there's a lot of talk about your character, how you act, and that you need to get more serious, you need to put on some different colors, you need to wear black, you know, like all these crazy things saying that in order to get to the next level, you had to change your whole your whole deal. How does it feel getting to that next level and you didn't change any of that? Yeah, man, my thing was, I just feel like as a performer, I've been with WWE for 12 years, almost nine years in the main roster. If I don't have right. an internal barometer by now, then I probably don't belong here. And I, like, I feel yeah. like I have made some, and I, I've always tried to make some adjustments. You know, I'm not wearing, uh, you know, rainbow colors. Now I'm not wearing a unicorn horn on my head because there are certain times where I felt like, you know, I wanted this run to still feel like me, but I wanted it to feel purposeful. Like I'm here, you know, as soon as, you know, we, we did the promo last year with, with Kofi kind of giving me his blessing to do single stuff. I just wanted uh -huh. that to feel like, okay, I'm still me but there's an extra level of determination. Like, I'm not just here to sit backstage and goof around. So, uh, you know, I have made some adjustments, but I, I still, like like you said, at the core, I still feel like I'm me, which has made getting to the top of, of this industry feel even more rewarding because I just felt very strongly, like, I don't want to have to fit into a certain box. I don't want to feel right. like I have to shave off my my edges to, to fit a certain box <laughs> of what, what people want me to be. Like, I didn't want to lose any sense of me. And, you know, we have so many people, and this is not a shot at anyone, but in wrestling, you have a ton of characters who wear black, who are brooding, who are right. serious. And I just, I didn't want to be someone that, that people had already seen before. You know, I didn't want to be, to try to be another Brock or Mark Henry or John Cena, whoever it is. I just wanted to be me. And, and that's what, to me, has also made this extra rewarding, is I feel like I got to do it my way. Right. That's amazing and then um i think the best thing about this whole thing is a lot of times when discussing the new day people in order for they think in order for one to succeed the only way for that person to succeed is he has to get away from the new day anytime someone's like oh yeah we want to see when they were talking about you we want to see ego to the top the only way he's going to make it though is if he leaves kofi if he leaves woods or if they break up if they split up how important was it for you to get to the top with your guys there? Because for me, when Kofi won the championships, it made it even more special that you and Woods were there. They they want so hard for like the champion to be like this loner, lone star, James Dean, it's just me type dude. But yeah. when you get there with your friends, it feels so much better when it's like a gang, you know what I mean? So how important was it that when you won the championship, oh. 
your boys are right there with you. Massively important. So, so important. We all got to, I don't get to this point without the new day, without Kofi and Woods. I don't get the opportunity to feel more free as a, a character, even just the practice of, of getting out there to cut promos on a weekly basis, stuff that I wasn't doing before. So I will always give those dudes massive credit because I still feel very much like whatever I accomplish is under the new day banner. Like this is still this title win being WWE title. This adds to our resume. This adds to, so everything we do, even as solo is, is about that. It's adding to our, our resume as the new day. I love those guys. And we talk about it ad nauseum. People are probably sick of it, but there's a real brotherhood. <laughs> there's, there's a real, we just generally root for each other. <laughs> I, and then I'm, then I'm best, free to talk about it because I, I just, I have such a, yeah, we just, we just have a real love for each other and we, we want to see each other succeed. And I just genuinely love that I can come to the back after I did something cool. And those guys like, man, seeing like wood shedding tears or, or Kofi just beaming, man, that, that's the best thing. Getting to the top is great. But like you said, being able to do it with your friends. It is there's nothing like it, and I feel like we've all elevated each other. It's exactly what you would want out of it's like best case scenario out of a faction where everyone is better off because of the faction. We don't have one person emerge as a leader and push down the others. We always, from the very start, we wanted to make it clear there was no leader, there was no person who was going to try to drag the others down to be the star. And I think that selflessness has been the key to our success. Definitely. Most definitely. You guys have all elevated each other. And the, the journey feels, like I said, more important because you guys are there. Like Woods just won the the King of the Ring tournament. And it all feels even more important because the whole time that he's been wanting to have this moment, you two have been there by his side. And so you guys, this has been the New Day's year, man. I just want to say, first of all, congrats, because you guys have been just Thank having you. the best time and you just put your, you know, you guys just did it your way. You put your nose to the ground and you just went for it. It's it's really amazing to see every new step that you guys get to take. It's it's great. Well, thank you, man. Uh, I'm, I'm just very very proud of us. I yeah. Yeah. So you won you won the WWE Championship. To get there, you were the Money and the Bank winner. I wasn't carrying around the money in the bank. You didn't have to carry it around for too long, but what was life like with the, with the briefcase? Uh, it was uh, a massive honor. It was very, very cool. Uh, I will say my only, and this is a, a small nitpicky thing that I should never complain about, but that thing is <laughs> not the best to, to travel with as far as like going in and out of airport. Cause if it was a little bit bigger, I could just make it, okay, this is my carry on. I can put my gear in it, whatnot. But so it's a little too small for that. <laughs> But it's also a little too big. The briefcase being your carry-on is super funny for me. It's it's pretty ridiculous. But so that's kind of like that's kind of the workers thing. We're we're all obviously very very happy with it. But anyone who's had the money to make, especially for a while, we all kind of end up talking and we're all like, hey, it's really a pain. And like, how do you travel with this thing? So there's a little nice like fraternity and sorority uh, of us uh, money to make holders who have to figure out how to travel with it. But uh. I think the cool thing was it felt like a bit of a teaser of letting people know, like, all right, this is something pretty cool for me is coming. But, I mean, the thing is, you also never know. We also saw Otis uh, recently lose hands. We've seen people in the past. Corbin right. losing uh, the cash in as well. So you, you never you never really truly know. And I guess that was always 
uh, an option. If I'm being honest, I I didn't think that was going to happen for me because I thought, you know, people will be pretty upset. This is a bad business move to have me get this briefcase and then not cash in. Uh, so, yeah, I was uh, it was cool that, you know, it felt like the next step up for me as a guy who'd been around for a while. Of course, I had the IC title a couple of times, but this is it's kind of crazy to be 12 years into your time with WWE, uh, nine years on the main roster. And like still be hitting like new highs. This is all like brand new territory. And it's exciting for me now because all these matchups, even though I've, I've wrestled Drew before, but when I wrestled Drew, I think that the last time I had a singles match with him, I think he was still in three and B. And I think this was before the new day. So like right. that feels brand new. Even the singles match with, with Seth, I've wrestled Seth before we've been wrestling on the house shows too. But as far as a singles match on TV, I want to say that I could be wrong, but the last one I remember is we had a main event match. Again, pre New Day. So now I, I love the fact I had never wrestled Bobby Lashley before in a singles until um, I beat him for the title. And then we had our matches after that. So that's what I love is, and, and I think that's the beautiful part with elevating someone like me who's been around and established, but never really in the main event scene like this is now you have all these brand new possibilities for matches. And, and I think that's what our business needs. We need, we need more fresh matchups. We need more like rising stars. And yeah, so it's, a, it's definitely an exciting time for me because so there's so many new possibilities. Right. Going back to the money in the bank briefcase a little bit before. Um, a thing that's kind of been going on with the briefcase is like, uh, I guess people were how it's executed. I guess you could say like they, they say, Oh, well the baby face doesn't usually, it doesn't usually work for the baby face. Cause he has to get the one up on the heel or, or like, the way that they wouldn't, you you know, a baby face would call out the guy before the match instead of just being like, blah, blah, blah. But you kind of did go about that way because you said, you know, I'm, you tweeted, I'm coming to Raw with this briefcase and it's going down. Do you feel like you got a chance to show that a baby face can hold it and it doesn't have to be a bust? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think, too, and I completely get where it comes from. I think we have certain tropes in wrestling. I think that's similarly why people want the New Day to break up is because you're just always accustomed to, we've seen the Shield and we see all these factions and it's always about, you know, who's going to, and I get it's interesting to see who's going to be the one to turn. It's the Rockers, Shawn Michaels. Right. And and that's what people are used to. And it's worked in the past. I'm not saying it doesn't work. It definitely works. But uh, I think, I think it also helped the fact I didn't have the briefcase for nine months to a year or however long. So uh, it, it wasn't, I, I completely get where the sentiment comes from, but I think we could tell stories in a, in, a, in a bit of a different way. And I think for me, it worked. I don't think I ever felt like a heel or I felt dickish because of the way I handled things. I, I think it, and I think it obviously helped too. Like you said, there's just something to saying like, Hey, Bobby, I know you have this title match with Randy, but tonight I am assuring you, I promise you I'm coming for your title. I'm going to cash in. So I, I feel like doing it that way worked. And also, Man, the crowd and, and people were just so behind me. It felt like such a feel-good moment, at least for me, that I think it would have erased any kind of feeling that, oh, I, I kind of snuck up on the heel or the, the current champion when he was down. So I feel like a lot of that went out of the window just because, you know, the, the result of it was such a positive. Right. The crowd was super hot. How has it been going from SmackDown to Raw? Because you essentially that was kind of like when you made the transition. Because after that, you've been on Raw every week since then. How's it been going from being a SmackDown guy to being a Raw guy? And 
you know, immediately getting that great reception. Yeah. I mean, everything about it is different now because I am now the guy who, for the most part, opens SAG ones and I'm now the guy who like, so opening and closing. So not just, I'm not just moving over to raw, but now I'm in this very different position where like, Hey, you're, you're the guy. So uh, a lot of life has changed in ways that, you know, I knew things were going to change. I knew there would be some more added responsibilities and whatnot, but I've also just really had a blast with it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and I guess one of the biggest differences for me now is navigating, you know, before, especially those first few weeks on raw, I'm, you know, I'm now like, Hey, here are your six or six to eight segments, you know, where, where, Hey, I had two matches with Bobby, we, you know, that culminated the second match was a steel cage match. And so now instead of, Hey, you know, when I was on SmackDown with the briefcase, a lot of times it was just, here's your 10 second teaser backstage with Paul Heyman, where you just wave the briefcase in his face. And that's about it. Now there's just a lot more of the show is on me. And and I've enjoyed that. It's definitely more work, but it's been fulfilling and, and fun work. And I feel like it's been an enjoyable start. Like, you know, looking back on my, not that there's much to look back on, but the last <laughs> six weeks or so, uh, you know, I, I've, I feel like we've done a lot already. We've had what to many is a possible dream match in this triple threat with Roman and Bobby. We had the bloodline right. versus New Day. Uh, I've had a steel cage match. I've had uh, a title defense, uh, a match that I was really happy with, with Drew McIntyre uh, in Riyadh. So I feel like it, I feel like it hasn't really been that much time, but I feel like already it's gotten off to a great start, not to mention the fact that I've been able to do some bucket list things like getting to do to do big noon kickoff in Iowa City to watch Iowa beat Penn State, um, hopping on a jet to then go to Fury Wilder to be a part of that. So, man, it, it's kind of wild how much of my life has changed just in these last, you know, couple months. Going on a date with Demetria Obovor. I mean, uh, well, <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that part, I think. <laughs> we, yes, yeah, we just went big to the fight. E- next big to each other. That's e- all, that's all. Legendary that's top guy. No one can touch him. He's been killing. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, well, yes. <laughs> I think it's uh, uh, when we mention the the rise of Big E, it's always great to mention Wale. How did the the theme song with Wale come about? Because I think that was a big a big part of like this like Big E's ready. You know, he got the new theme. It's lit. Like, how did the thing with Wale happen? Yeah, so eventually they just came to me, and this was about a year ago. Um, and the talk was essentially like, hey, we want to do a solo theme for you. And, you know, initially I was just thinking, okay, let's get something, you know, like maybe we just remix the current theme, the New Day theme that people are familiar with. So it still has connections to that. But, uh, you know, the, the thing that I loved is, you know, in my mind, if it's, hey, new theme, whatever, whatever we're doing musically, my first thought is Wale. Reach out to Wale. Can Wale do it? Is he free? Right. <laughs> and b- before I even had the chance to, I reached out to Neil Lowey, who, you know, runs the, the music stuff as far as connecting, you know, musicians with, with WWE and with wrestlers. And the first thing I reached out to was, was Neil. And I think even before, I think Neil probably texted me before I even did. And he said, Hey, uh, you want to get Wale? And I said, you read my mind. You already know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that was a nice part is to have some input on it and then to be able to go back and forth on, on the beat a little bit. And they asked me kind of my input and just being able to, uh, to talk to Wale and my, you know, and, and he's the man. Um, and he would, he would come to me and say, Hey, like kind of ask me for ideas. I'm like, man. You're, you're Wale. You, you know me. You know the product. 
whatever you put down, I, I'm going to be happy with. So, uh, right. I, I, I am so thankful for this brother because he supported me in ways that I, even beyond wrestling, man, we just, and I love the fact, man, like I'm not into having celebrity friends for the sake of celebrity. He's just such, we have just such genuine conversations. He's such a hilarious dude. Like beyond music and wrestling, like that's, I'm just, that's, that's my friend. That's my brother. And, uh, it's dope to be able to, to go along this ride with him. Also, and the fact that this man dropped, I love Valorant too. I'm a big hip hop head, but I also like, he, he to me is such an incredible rapper. Just dropped an incredible album to me, album of the year, but I'll let people figure that out themselves. But it, it's been, <laughs> I love being able to do this journey with people that I love and that I respect and that are friends. So being able to do the journey with Kofi and Woods and have Wale, uh, you know, you know, every time I come out, it's, it's Wale's voice is beautiful. Wale's almost the uh, fourth member of the New Day, pretty much. Huh? That's like been a thing for a while. Legit. Like I, at this point, he honestly really is. That's so dope. <laughs> that just like sounds wild. I couldn't imagine like back in 1998 watching WWE that like, one of the best rappers in the world would like be down with the group that's in the, in the company and do the theme for him. I mean, people probably say ICP, but like, yo, what are y'all talking about? Y'all talking, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> y'all talking yeah. crazy out here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh man. So uh, what, what's been your favorite live crowd since you guys have been back on the road? Oh, uh, man, let me think. Well, I, I don't know. I can't say anything. It's got to be Boston, right? It's got to be Boston. That that, right. that response because in that Boston was the one. when I won the title. Yeah, they were incredible. So, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't top that moment. Man, we've had some good ones. We we had some really good ones. Even on the live event uh, scale, like we were in El Paso and Rio Rancho recently, and they were incredible. So even like being able to do some of these live events and get back to some feeling of like normalcy of like, hey, this is what we do. We do our TVs, but hey. We also hit these towns and we go to towns like El Paso and, and do these live events. So those towns were great too. But if forced to pick one since we've been back, man, Boston showed me so much love that that'll always be a memory that, you know, that's, I'll, my, I'll be on my deathbed. I'll be an old man and I'll fondly remember Boston. Right. That's dope, man. It's been a ride. Um, what, uh, you know, you're the WWE champion. It's been, uh, like you said, it's been a crazy ride this last six weeks. You've been on Raw, you've been on SmackDown, you've been to Saudi Arabia, you've been all over the world. Have you taken time just to sit back and be like, I did this? Because it's been a world, like, as soon as they put the belt on you, you were just like, on flights, on TV, on football, on baseball, on basketball, on boxing, like, all these things. I'm like, yo, he is out here. Have you taken the time to just like, oh, I'm the champ, we out here. Uh, you know what? It's like you said, man, it's been even, even then, like I'm in New York right now because I'm, I'm doing media and I'm about to go home. And even when I go home, I have more work to do. So I don't know if there's really an I made it moment, but I will say, you know, I have had some moments to reflect mostly just kind of really about my life in general. And I think back to times where I really struggled to find my place in the world and just not seeing much value in myself when I was younger and just wondering what my life would turn out to be. And I look back and I just, you know, I feel like I have these moments sometimes where I connect with my inner child or I think back to like my 14 year old self and I'm just, I'm damn proud of me. And that's, that's a beautiful feeling because I'm not a person who has been brimming with self-confidence all my life. Uh, you know, oftentimes I was just very self-deprecating, very self-loathing. 
But uh, I just got into this really great point in my life. It feels like so many great things are happening in my life, even beyond wrestling and WWE and winning this championship. I'm just, just really proud of myself. And it feels good to find self-love and to just have, to have overcome so many things. And uh, just to get to this point of, of being proud of, of the man I am and who I'm becoming and the path I'm on. And there's so many things that I, I want to do um, selfishly and to help others. And so, yeah, I just kind of, I, I've really just, it's really just been taking stock of, of my life in general. And I'm happy, man. I'm just generally happy in just with my life, with, with where I am, with, with WWE, with my personal life, with my relationships. And it, it's really just a point I never thought I'd get to. And not that I never thought I'd be WWE champion or have all these accolades. But really this moment where I'm settled with myself, where I find real peace with myself, where I feel like I'm on my path. Uh, and that's that's something that I'm wildly grateful for. That's amazing. Oh, I've, Just hearing that is amazing because, you know, like as a wrestling fan, a lot of this is new. We talk about like black wrestling, black wrestlers, black wrestling, all this stuff. I've been like I've been watching for 30 years. So a lot of this is new. We, there's only been four of these guys. So like, I just feel so proud all the time. I was at WrestleMania and watching Bianca and Sasha was like, I can't even believe that this is happening. And there's been so many moments like that this year. You've been a part of a lot of them. The New Day has been a part of so many of them throughout these years that I'm just like so happy that you guys are doing this. And I'm so Blessed to be a black wrestling fan. Finally, it's taken a long time. It's <laughs> yes. So, it's taken so long, man. Jeez Louise. Yeah. So just thank you for being yourself. I get upset when they tell you to change, when they tell you, I'm like, why? He's, that's, that makes it even better that he's himself. Like people don't feel like, oh, it, in order to get to a certain thing, you have to be somebody else. You don't, man. You could get to where you were being the person that you are. And that's like, inspiring that it, the new day more than any group just defines that you know so thank you so much man i appreciate it a l couple more do you have any dream matches is that goldberg match still on there would you like to lock horns with brock lesnar one day like what's about to happen here you got you got the the crown now they coming for you yeah man it's um it's wild because now there, I feel like there are a lot of dream matches that I thought, all right, I'd never really get that are now possibilities, which is pretty cool. Um, the Goldberg match is, is obviously one that's, you know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's still a possibility. So, you know, that's, that's an option, maybe. Um, <laughs> I think about even, it seems it closer than ever now, I'd say. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it's definitely a possibility. I would say, even though he's a baby face, I'm a baby face too. I would say probably the match with, with Edge, uh, is another one um, that I think mm -hmm. just because, you know, as you know, see him come back and put on the kind of performances he's put on, man, I'm just so impressed. Uh, and he's such an incredible dude. And like that, that's one that would be high up for me. But I also think there's all these three matches that, uh, you know, would I think the Roman match is, is a match that's massive, but you know, yeah. that's not a mania match. That's a survivor series. That's coming right around the corner. Um, right. I'm excited about that as well. Uh, and even like, I honestly, I would, I would probably say like, like the Seth match, the Roman match, but these matches are both happening in the next, you know, couple months. So I don't know what else is out there. Uh, it's something I haven't really thought too much about, but 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know what? I'd love to, I kind of wish we hadn't done it at all yet, but I feel like we didn't really get a real conclusion to the bloodline versus uh, the new day. So that's definitely one right. that I would love. To, that, that would be a dope mania match, especially if it was for all the titles. Like, you know, if they had tag titles Ooh, and, and yeah. world titles on the line, something like that, I think would be really fun. All right, a couple more because I know you got to get out of here. What would you like your legacy as the WWE champion to be and kind of tying it in? Are, is there still room for like a New Day tag title run? Is that like, is that door closed or is it like oh, everything is still open up in the air possibility? So legacy and New Day's future. Yeah, that's a great question. You know what? I We always started the group. Our intention as a group was really to be a faction that had our single stories. And, you know, we just operated as this weird three-man tag team for years. And now it wasn't until Kofi Mania where we just really started to tap into the original idea of what we wanted to be. I'm not saying that, like, you know, for me, I don't know if, um, I, I don't know, if, I'm not saying being a part of uh, another tag team title run would be a backwards step, but, you know, I'd also just love to see, you know, Woods as King of the Ring, me as WWE champion. Imagine, like, Kofi versus Roman, man, and with, right, with the right build. Right. Uh, I'd, I'd like to continue to see us just do our own thing, uh, but come together, still be a group. But I, I just feel like there's so much untapped potential with us really pursuing singles titles, but still coming together for the, for six mans when the time is right. So that's, I, I just kind of, I love the idea of us just being this group of multiples where, you know, there's a tag team between me and Woods, maybe, and then Kofi's doing something. I love the fact that we can combine and separate and we can come and go as we please. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's funny too to think about all of our original ideas. Like originally we wanted to add members, like Alicia Fox was someone we considered, even a, a Damien Sandow was some. Again, we didn't reach out to any of these people. <laughs> you know, things we thought about. But now, I, I Saxton. Like, yeah, I, well, honestly, the inception of the group was because of a group that we started in, in FCW with Saxton and Abraham mm. Washington. We just kind of, we picked pieces of that and then we, we, we just kind of stole from that original idea. So yeah, um, I, I'm so proud of Woods. So I, I'd love to see him continue his run as King of the Ring. I know he has a gang of ideas that are all going to be fun. I'd love to see Kofi is still a legend. He's still a former world champion. I'd love to see Kofi get the opportunities he deserves too. And that, that's the nice thing on SmackDown now is, uh, you know, whether it's an IC title run, whether it's another world title run, like Kofi has options too. So, um, you know, I don't exactly know what I want for all three of us, but I feel like, like you said, it's been a really good year for us as a trio. And I want to just keep that moving. Amazing. Well, E, like I said, I appreciate it. It's been 30 years. I created this list, 500 best black wrestlers in the world. Next year, you're definitely going to be top two because you won the WWE championship. And I appreciate everything that you've done this year. Appreciate the new day. Their legacy is amazing. One of the greatest WWE tag teams of all time. You're going to go down in history as one of the best ever, like a homegrown WWE talent that did it reached the pinnacle. It's been an amazing year. Thank you for this conversation. Thanks for everything. It's been great. I appreciate you, E. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And I didn't know it was your list either. That list was dope. So I yeah, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you, man.